I took that anger. I, I wanted to like punch Bill right in his face after that ha happened. <laughs> Just because I'm like sitting here, I'm like put my time, I'm doing everything I can. Yeah. Hey everybody, Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another episode of Half Forgotten History. This week's guest had a serious bromance crush on Tom Brady. No, it's not Gronk, it's the other one, Julian Edelman. His journey to being one of the clutchest receivers in Patriots of football history is really remarkable considering he started out being drafted very late as an undersized quarterback and then turned that through sheer hard work and determination into being the receiver that Tom Brady ended up trusting almost more than anybody else he ever threw the football to in New England. And now, of course, he's doing great things in the media and he's going to be a star there just like he was in the NFL. Sit back and enjoy this episode with former Patriots wideout Julian Edelman. All right, let's let's start here. Are you really retired? Because a lot of these Patriots, they find a way, these expats, they find a way to come back and play again. So definitively, are you done? I mean, technically, I'm I'm done right now. So I see I, right there. You said right now, right away. Yeah. You put in a qualifier. You put I mean, in a qualifier. I'm, I'm I am. You are correct. I am retired right now. So do yeah. do you do you want to at some day be unretired? I don't know. You know, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to this upcoming season of games with names presented by WinBet. And then also my new team on Inside the NFL, which streams on Paramount Plus. Shameless right. plugs left and right, but that's what I'm honestly on right now. No, I, I appreciate it and uh, you know, have forgotten. But I am staying in shape. But I am staying in that, shape, Trey. But you are, you got that caveat. I mean, listen, we're we're all about the shameless plugs as we're brought to you by a million fabulous companies that we will insert in, in the commercial breaks. So we'll, we'll, we'll hold that as a potential maybe that we'll see 11 on the field again somewhere sometime. But if if it is officially over and we're doing games with names uh, with my good friend Sam, and we'll get into that a little bit later, and obviously all the stuff you're doing on Inside the NFL, how would Julian Edelman describe his NFL career? Uh, probably an overachiever. Uh, someone that competed, uh, someone that tried to do what was best for his team uh, throughout his whole career. Of course, there's ups and downs, uh, but, you know, I tried to be a good teammate and and ultimately tried to go out and win football games and do what I was told uh, by the people that, you know, were leading the ship. So that's yeah. that's what I feel like I would try to go down as. Well, I think a lot of people would agree with that assessment of your career. So before we get to the NFL part of it, like uh, you're you're from the San Francisco area, Redwood City, right? Not yep. too far away. When did you have or think about potentially any aspirations of playing college ball, let alone professional football? Because I'm looking here, and it says you had a you were you had a growth spurt at some point when you, you when you started with your freshman football. You were like five feet. Is that what it was? Yeah. Something like, yeah, I was about, you know, five feet. Uh, was definitely a late bloomer. Uh, it was nuts. I, I played Pop Warner from eight to about 14. Then I went to high school. And uh, from like eight to 12, I was like the most dominant athlete. And then everyone hit puberty and I didn't hit puberty. So, <laughs> you know, I was able to compete, with, which in hindsight and looking back on it, it ultimately trained me. Uh, and put a chip on my shoulder because I got so yeah. mad about it because I, you know, you go and compete against these kids that you used to dominate and then they were just now bigger and they were faster. But like it trained me uh, going forward to A, have that chip on your shoulder and B, know how to like, you, you have to come up with different dynamics of the game, learning vision uh, and, and learning like how to play the game to get, your advantage because I didn't, I couldn't outrun people. I couldn't, you know, I wasn't bigger than guys. So, yeah. you know, it, 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 looking back on it, like everything happens for a reason, but yeah, I was, I was very small when I was younger. Listen, and, and for those that didn't go through that, you, I did, I grew four inches in college. Okay. So I get it. Like I yeah. was a later bloomer than you. It sucks. Like I cannot begin to explain to people who weren't, prepubescent boys when everyone else had hair everywhere and was talking like this 
I'd come into the gym and say, hi guys. How? Like, it sucks. Like, I, that, that might have been the worst part of my life it was so bad. I, I, I agree. I mean, I remember going into my dad's room and crying and, and yeah. just being like, dad, when am I going to grow? And I, it wasn't like I was getting embarrassed or anything. I was still a very like competitive kid. And, you know, I, I held my own. I was still like a stud, but, you know, I just, I, I just always wanted to be, you know, just hit my spurt. Just like you said, yeah. there was like, as a young boy that's going through, you know, growing up in puberty and being around other kids, you know, that, that's a huge part of it. Listen, when I was, when I was 16, I looked for, and there was a guy in my high school named Salvatore Tartaglione. He was 6'3 and with a full beard in the eighth grade. He had so much hair on his body. He was a swimmer. He could carve out the letters GHS and shave it out of his chest hair. And we were, he was a year younger than me. And I was like, this is not fair. This, yeah. is, this is not fair and not fun for anybody. Yeah. The old late bloomers. Yeah. So, well, listen, you achieved. That's all that matters. So, when you hit that and you started to play a little bit, when did you start thinking, okay, maybe I'll go play college ball? I mean, that was always the goal. I grew up going to Stanford games and uh, going to like the San Jose State, you know, arena or whatever, or uh, wherever they played at. Uh, I think it was right. Spartan Stadium. And, and you know, in, in the Bay Area, you know, college sports were, they weren't like, when I went to Ohio and I experienced people right. loving Ohio state everywhere in the right. state, like it's not like that in the Bay area. Everyone's a pro it's a pro sport town or area. You know, you got the Niners, the giants, you know, and the, the warriors, like no one really cared about it. It was fun, but there was always a saying, like if you were a stud when we were like in junior high school, we'd always say that's so D one because it was like a D one <laughs> athlete. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, yeah. that kid's throw over there. That was D one. Or, you know, like if you were shooting, playing horse, and you made a crazy shot or something, that's so D1. So we would always start, you know, playing with that term. And, and that's when I started really wanting to play football uh, at a Division One level, which was probably in junior high. And that was my ultimate goal. Of course, we all dreamed of going to the National Football League. But, yeah. like, I always had something in my life that, like, I was battling. So, like, you know, when I was younger – you know, I, w I didn't hit puberty until later. So I always had this thing on my, my mind. Like I was always trying to prove these people wrong. And I kept everything on my plate at that time to do that. And then, you know, going into junior college, you know, I didn't get recruited. So like I, I was just trying to find my way and, and, and earn my teammates respect through, you know, my play. And, and that's what was on my mind. And then I got a scholarship to, you know, Kent. And it was like the same thing. I'm just trying to win ball games. I want to be the five foot ten quarterback that came from California, JUCO, that's going to help this team have a winning season, you know, for one of the first times in what well, I don't even know how many years. But that's what I was thinking yeah. about. It was never really like, all right, the NFL is the, the goal. I'm going to go to the NFL right now. It was always like there was always something in my way that, you know, and I look back on it was probably great and kept me naive to even thinking about, you know, that process of going somewhere, you know, before attaining these little goals and, and these little battles, which ultimately trained me to get there. Yeah. Well, listen, you, you were absolutely that stud and very D1 at, uh, at Kent State. I mean, you're a three-year starter. You broke Joshua Cribbs, a single season uh, school record for total offense. I mean, so you had success there. After your three years there, did you entertain the idea? Because, you know, that, that would seem like the next progression for you. Yeah. I mean, I remember walking off the field against Buffalo at, at Buffalo University or University of Buffalo. It was my last football game. And, like, reality hit me because yeah. it was almost such a huge task to, like, all right, are you going to play in the C – am I going to play in the CFL? Because I had scouts ask, you know – talking to me and, and what am I going to try to change positions and go play in the national football league? I've never played receiver. These guys are pros. So you have this intimidation factor of, of that. Uh, and it wasn't until, you know, I did flirt with the idea of becoming a fireman. I went and visited some firehouses just, you know, just in case, but it wasn't until I hired my agent, uh, Don Yee, Yee and Dubin sports and, and Steve Dubin and Carter Chow, uh, 
it wasn't until I hired them when I, until I fully got, fully got like a confidence that, all right, man, I can go play in the league. And, and, you know, Don hit me up and he was representing my coach at the time, coach, uh, Doug Martin for at Kent state. And I didn't have any agents really approaching me and he hit me up and kind of, he said, Hey, you know, you make people look dizzy on film. I'm going to call you dizzy or something like that. And and Don's got a real mellow tone, like yeah. way of speaking. And, uh, he goes, I, I, you know, I, it's hard for me to think that if you get into a camp in the NFL, a team's going to cut you. And, you know, once I heard that, that's kind of when it gave me like, you know, confidence. And then I went and started training and I met up with a guy, I met up with Charlie Fry and we linked up somehow at this training facility and he started throwing to me, which was like super beneficial to have a starting quarterback in the NFL. Like at the time, I think he was with the Raiders or the Browns. Yeah. Those years ago, but to have him taking time out of his day to work with, you know, a, a kid from a rival school that's trying to convert from quarterback to receiver at, you know, at the pro level. So, you know, there's a lot of things that happened, but, you know, it was, it was pretty nuts. Don Yee, very super beneficial uh, for a variety of reasons we'll get into a little bit later there. No. But I, I'm curious, the fireman thing, what, if it wasn't going to work out, what made you want to be a fireman? I think it's just like the camaraderie of, of, of like the firehouse. I had some, you know, friends, parents that were firemen or firewomen. And, and, uh, you know, I, I just always thought it was pretty cool. You know, these guys are like fearless dudes that jump into fires and, and go save people, help people. Um, you know, but also that camaraderie, figure that you're you know you're in the house with the guys or you know the people the ladies as well and and just having that like team atmosphere you know something that's that's something I like and I thrive off of um you know so that's think, probably yeah that. I think I think a lot of Patriot fans would think you would have been a really good fireman I mean yeah. that's that, from, from the way you know you you carried yourself on the field but you didn't have to do that because even though you didn't get to the combine by the way how devastating is that for a guy like yourself who, I mean, that combine, like for the top guys in the draft every year, the combine is what it is. It's a dog and pony show. You know, most of those guys know where they're going in the first two rounds. The combine is a is, is an ultimate opportunity for someone like yourself, uh, a guy who's trying to change positions after being an undersized quarterback at, at Kent State. How devastating or, or what was the feeling when you didn't get the invite to the combine? I was just pissed off, you know, yeah. and then that's what happens. I was young, like, oh, F, F these guys, this – this is rigged, but you know, you're like, you're like 22 years old. So you, especially me, I, you know, I, I got really pissed off and I tried to hone, harness it and use it as fuel for my pro day. And, and really, you know, that's when I started learning work to worry about what you really control. You know, that was like the beginning phases of, of that huge life lesson that works in any asset aspect of life of just like really can't, worry about things you can't control because it's just going to make you mad and it's going to take time and energy away from things that you really have to work on to get to where you're trying to go. Well, it certainly paid off for you because at your pro day, you ran the uh, short shuttle in 392, which was faster than any uh, short shuttle at the combine that year. And you got the attention of, of all people, the New England Patriots. They brought you in for some private workouts before the draft. What went through your mind when they started paying attention to you? I got excited. Uh, you know, the, the different thing about the Patriots was they, they initially sent out Ivan Fears, who was their running backs coach. And, uh, yeah. you know, once again, I was fortunate enough, Charlie Fry would come to my school and, and throw to me. And so he, we would come up with this routine of like, you know, things he, he thought I should run for scouts and and he kind of trained me he like all right you got to get this 10 yard out you know get the five yard rolled out you know like which that's huge i i didn't know what i was really yeah. doing yeah. and so to have that and especially have the timing with someone who knows your body mechanics and stuff we've been working together but you know he, i even had me running out of the backfield doing a bunch of running back things and he could see i could stop on a dime on these return drills he was making me do and so then he put me out at receiver and had me do receiver drills as well. 
And then the crazy thing about that is they left and I, and he put me on the board, the chalkboard and tested the hell out of me. And I was like making stuff up. I, I was like, Oh, like I call protections as a quarterback at Kent state, yeah. but like we're 19 years old, you know, you know what I mean? It's, it's one of those things. Block and, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> block that guy. And so like, I'm over here, like this is an inverted uh, six and, and Ivan's, busting my balls the whole time like what <laughs> and like after that i'm like these guys hate me they're, they're they're never gonna let me come play on their team and then a, a week later call i get a call from the patriots again they want to send out their special teams coordinator and so that's pretty unusual to have a team work you out twice you know right. i was getting worked out by a bunch of other teams and a lot of teams were you know working me out as running back and safety by the you know and, and receiver and and then the Patriots sent out Scotty O'Brien and he made me catch some punts and kickoffs and, you know, just kind of talk to me and feel the kind of person I was, which he's, he's a huge part of that, you know, generation of uh, drafted players. They say he's a really good talent evaluator, I guess. That's like the MO of Scotty O'Brien. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty unusual. That's when I kind of figured that, you know, they were interested but then after that process of the workouts, you go into team visits. So you go to the team will say, hey, we want to bring you out on a visit. We're going to fly you out to our facility. They give you like a physical. They show you around the facilities. They kind of want to like learn you more and, and kind of, you know, analyze what kind of person you are. They'll, they'll interview you. They'll bring you into the chalkboard. They'll, they'll introduce you to all the coaches. And it's just another step before the draft. and. You know, I went and I went to like three or four visits and the Patriots didn't give me a visit. And I was like, oh, these fucking guys, are, are you allowed to swear <laughs> in this thing? Okay. I don't fucking care. It's all, all right, good, okay. bro. Yeah. So uh, I'm like, these fucking guys, I, they're, they're out of the picture. And so from there on, I was like, man, I think I might be a Miami Dolphin because everyone was very oh. uh, excited about the Wildcat. That was 2009. Yeah. Right. I, you know, and I rushed for like, 1400 yards my senior year so I had like this running dynamic and and that like ultimately is what put me on the map for all these teams and you know so that I thought I was going to go to Miami potentially instead you get a call from the Patriots in the seventh round uh picked what 223 is that what it was 223 I think it's like two, um, 232 230, or something like that 232 it was 232 yeah. so for for someone like yourself who knew you weren't going to be an early round draft pick, how agonizing is the wait for that phone to ring? Like Brady to this day still talks about how important it was for him to get drafted in the sixth round. You know, what was it like hanging on, waiting for the seventh? I was just honestly excited to get drafted. You know, I was playing quarterback, and you know I, the amount of work I put in to get to that point to even have the consideration to be drafted. I was, I I was just excited for that. Um, you know, like, and then in that sixth round, seventh round, there's, you know, you get the priority free agent calls. And so at that yeah. point I had like six teams lined up asking me, you know, here, we'll give you like 20 grand, come sign on our team. We want you to in camp. And, you know, at that, you know, at that point I was like really excited to get a call. Cause I was, you get a little bummed if you weren't going to get drafted. Yeah. So then you get drafted, and oh, it's all good, right? Because everyone knows what happens when Julian Edelman wanted to uh, be drafted by the Patriots, and we all know what transpired. But getting to that point wasn't as easy, I think. A lot of people forget there were some years where we weren't sure what was going to happen with Julian Edelman. So why don't we take our first break here on Half Forgotten Here's Boom? We'll come back. We'll talk about how we went from a guy sort of hanging on to becoming a staple for the Patriots offense in their Super Bowl years after the first uh, couple. We're coming right back. Stay with us. Time for a Mercedes-Benz trivia segment, and Julian Edelman is one of only eight wide receivers ever to be named Super Bowl MVP. How many of the other seven can you name? We'll give you the answer after the next break. You know, you open up a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter, and you're opening more than doors. You're unlocking potential to do your own thing, be your own boss, and live out your own dreams. With 16 body types, your choice of a gas or diesel engine, and thousands of ways to customize, a Sprinter van is capable and versatile enough to help you drive your ambitions as far as you want to take them. So go ahead, unlock your potential. 
inside a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter. All right, back on Half Forgotten History with uh, Julian Edelman. So you get drafted, right? You're there, everything's good. But those first couple of years, look, you flashed on special teams, and that's probably why you made the, made the roster that first year. But it was a slow process for them to integrate you into the offense in a meaningful way. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, it's tough playing behind a guy like Wes Welker when he's in his prime. And, and you know, he was a, a technician in that system. And I was a, a quarterback from college trying to come in and, and compete, you know, with those guys. And it, it didn't happen overnight. It, it takes time. It takes experience. It takes repetition of doing something, whether it's a good rep or a bad rep. Those reps were so valuable to me because ultimately I could, you know, put the tool on my belt if it went right. Remember if it didn't go right. So, you know, it was it was it was hard sledding for a long time. And it was it was even harder because after my rookie year, you know, Wes went down with his ACL and I balled out in the in the playoffs. I had two touchdowns. Right. We got our we got our asses whooped by the Ravens. Yeah. But like, you know, I had like 46 total like playoff and uh, regular season catches. And so like I had some confidence going into the year too, you know, and then Wes Welker, he came back and was lights out and, and, and was Wes Welker. And, you know, that was humbling. I had like seven catches my next year and I had to reinvent myself and, and really make myself valuable to the team through versatility or I wasn't going to get a, you know the job because I wasn't good enough at receiver yet. I didn't know the position well enough. I didn't play the position long enough to just go in and be able to earn that right to play on that offense. So that's what happened for those three or four years. And then you know going in my fourth year, I had some years in my, under my belt and things were going real well. And you know I ended up even starting that year, uh, and that Wes was there, and I you know I cracked the, the lineup a little bit and. And then I broke my hand and, and I was out for two weeks and then, you know, get back in the, in the lineup and ball out for three games. And then I break my foot and I'm out for the year. And, and so the next year we go in and or we sign Danny Amendola. Danny comes in, gets a big contract, rightfully so, for what the production he had in his career at that point. And, you know, Wes leaves and, and I'm sitting there off a broken foot on a one-year deal, and, you know, that's that's kind of where, you know, it starts. 2010, seven receptions, 2011, four, 2012, 21. So finally you think, okay, Wes is leaving, goes to free agency, goes to Denver. I thought it was think, my keys. My I, thought, I, thought, yeah. I thought I was getting the keys to the Cadillac. And, and then they go inside, and I, let me be real, I love Amendola. I used to call him when he played for the Rams. They, they were the St. Louis Amendolas. He was the best player on that team. There's no question about it. But when you saw that – they signed him. Was there anybody who goes, guys, I'm right here. Like, can't you see me? Do you not understand that I can help you? I got so pissed. I was really mad. And and that was like, a, you get humbled in the NFL, especially like yeah. with the business side of, of things. And, and I've been humbled so many times where like, you just sit there and you're like, I'm right here. And, and yet and it hurts you, you know? And, yeah. But then you realize that this is a business and, you know, what are you going to do? And that's what I, that was, that was always my mindset. I, I took that anger. I, I wanted to like punch Bill right in his face after that ha happened. <laughs> Just because I'm like sitting here, I would like put my time, I'm doing everything I can. Yeah. But you know, when you look back on it, I didn't have the production. I got hurt. You know, I was, you know, there was, there was things. So like now that I'm older, I realize, but at that time in my life, I was pissed off and I used that energy to, to really work harder and, and become obsessive with trying to prove people wrong, and, and, and that's what I did. Well, it certainly paid off because the year that Amendola came over, you arguably had your best season. 11 starts, 105 catches, uh, over 1,000 receiving yards. I mean, how, how much of that was motivation to say, guys, like next time don't bring in somebody. I'm the guy that can get this done. I mean, I think it's a combination of a whole lot of things. I mean, Aaron Hernandez is off the team. Gronk yeah. hurts his back. Danny gets hurt. And so, like, honestly, I just got opportunity. And, and I once that opportunity came, I was like, I'm not letting them take it away from me. And, and that's, that's kind of what happened. Uh, it took a whole lot of shit to happen. But, 
Yeah. And, you know, a lot of unfortunate things, but, you know, that's, that's life. And, and if you get an opportunity, all you can do is, is try to take advantage of it and, and have yourself prepared before you get that opportunity. And that's what I thought. Well, you guys made it to the AFC Championship game that year. You, you lost to the Broncos 26-16. They go get thumped uh, in Super Bowl 48. Yep. And, and then Super Bowl 49 rolls around, and you guys have an absolutely another stellar year. You get there, uh, and what was what was the moment like for you when you realized, holy shit, I'm actually, we're doing this. I'm, I'm in the game. We're here. This is the thing that every kid talks about his entire life. Uh, that whole week of preparation, those two weeks, I just kept on thinking to myself, you know, the first Super Bowl I played, I wasn't really a piece. I was, it was 2011. Right. Yeah. Super 46. 46. Yeah. Like, I I played like five plays and, you know, I was so, so, you know, you get, you get mad about that. You're like, man, I wish I would have got to play more. And, and. We were that year in, in Super Bowl 49, I, I just kept remembering you know, my feeling of how I felt when I didn't get to play and, and the role that I had going into this Super Bowl and, and that I wanted to do everything in my possible, everything that I possibly could do to like not have the, man, I wish I would have after a game. Because yeah. we all had that after, you know, Super Bowl 46 when you we lost – in Indy. And, you know, I, I just kept on thinking, I just want to do everything I can to help this. We, I, we, we need to win this. I just want to win this game. And, you know, that's, that's ultimately when I, you know, like when I developed, you know, the Super Bowl routines that I, I kept going forward in the other ones. So. Well, you know, people forget, like, you guys were down big in that game. You were down uh, 10 points late in that game. And you got rocked in Super Bowl 49. I mean, like, were you good? Were you were you, were you you good after that hit? Because a lot of people were really concerned about you. Yeah, I was good. Uh, it was definitely a bang-bang hit. But what people don't see, I, on the punt return before that, I took a hip shot. A, a dude gave me a hip pointer. And that thing, like, that's, like, one of the worst, in, like, just painful injuries. And so, like, on the last part of that play, yeah, I got I got banged. It wasn't like I didn't get killed. But, like, I was yeah. fine mentally and, like, concussion-wise. I just couldn't get up because my hip was, like, pulling from the hip pointer. And then, like, in between plays when your adrenaline goes down, tighten up. So then it yeah. tightened up after the play, and I was like, ah. But, yeah, I was good. Football. So both of the yeah it is but both of the Super Bowls that you guys won that you were a part of craziest endings of all time right like forty nine you know the, the there's the infamous video of Tom Brady hopping up and down uh, on the Malcolm Butler interception what was going through your mind first of all when you see the big play to get him down there the big the unbelievable catch which by the way you would top later in a couple of years which we'll get to um, what was going through your mind as you see them and you're thinking holy shit. We're right here, and they're gonna they're gonna do this. Like, where where was your confidence level at that point? I was really looking at the clock, and I was doing math. Yeah. You know, because look, I know it's the Super Bowl, but on that team, within that that seven years of my career, like we've been in down some, and so many crazy things have happened. So you never feel like you're out of a game, like right. regardless. So like I'm already just trying to do what you know they kind of preached to us when that situation was going down i was going through like all right to we're potentially going to have like maybe like 17 20 seconds we'll probably have no time you know you're going through situational football and that's what we we're talked to you know we talk about all day there and uh you know of course after that catch you're like oh fuck this is going to be yeah it's going to be a bitch and you know thank god the next play you know we got our two plays later you know, the play before the interception that Malcolm Butler had, people forget that Dante Hightower's tackle, one arm yeah. tackle on Le- on uh Marshawn yeah. was uh life saving. That guy's a beast. Yeah, but it had to be sickening, right? Because there's nothing you can do at that point, right? All you can do is like I, uh, one of my guys I used to worry all the time said, coaches have all the power and no control. And I sort of felt in that situation, like you had done almost everything you could do, but there was nothing you could do to fix what was happening in front of you. Yeah, I wasn't, 
I wasn't thinking like that. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. You always got to believe. Planning you always got to yeah. believe. You're planning Belichick. ahead. I got it. Belichick instilled that in you, no question. So that crazy ending, and then Super Bowl 50, obviously, uh, Peyton comes back and finishes up his career and goes to the last Super Bowl. Then you guys come back in Super Bowl 51. And, you know, 28 to 3 that year in Houston. What's going through your mind there? We better get get our shit together. It's going to be an embarrassment. And, yeah. you know, like, yeah, you've had those, but then at halftime, you go in at halftime, and, and we were kind of, we were driving the ball decently. It wasn't like we were getting yes. stuck. You weren't finishing. You just weren't finishing. We did. We talked about three things going to that Super Bowl. Yeah. Scoring in the red area doing well on third down and taking care of the football. Well, we on a third down in the red area, we threw a pick six. So like that yeah. happens. The LeGarrette Blunt, you know, fumble on a on a gash play happens. Like things just we needed to settle down and and really just play each play the way it needed to be played instead of you know, the way we were playing in the beginning of the the beginning of the game. So you know, that's what was going through my head. Like, all right, well, we need to get this together. We can't fuck up no more. We're going to run out of our, cha- you know, our chances. We're going to run out of our, we're going to run out of time. And, you know, that's kind of what was going through my, our head. There, there was never a situation where you thought it was too big, down 25? Nah, not yet. Nah, not yet. Buffalo mm, came back. That. Well, Buffalo came yeah. back from 35-0 in that AFC championship. Yeah. Uh, I think it was 35-10. to 10, But, yeah, it was bad. Bad. It was bad. We got yeah, Tom Brady. Okay, we'll be all right. Yeah. Well, two things I remember about that. One, when the the after the Super Bowl was done, they had the the, the Falcons mic'd up on the sidelines, and they were like they were feeling good. And I remember some of the Falcons saying, "But that's Tom Brady, though." And I'm like, "Bro, you cannot think that way, right? You have to think we're up twenty eight to three. Let's keep the pedal going." The other thing I remember about Super Bowl specifically is that you guys got down there a couple of times late in that uh, third quarter and the fourth quarter, and you didn't get the touchdown, but but Bill kept kicking field goals, and the idea of, you know, everyone wants everybody to go for it until they don't make it. Then you're like, oh, it's a terrible decision. What I remember most about that is like Bill's doing everything he can to extend the game. Because I, I kick this field goal to make it 28 to 9, then it goes to 28 to 12. Okay, then it's two points. You know, then it's a, then it's a two touchdown game with two two point conversions. Granted, it's not likely to happen, but it keeps you in the game. And that's the thing that I remember most about that game is everyone was yelling at him every time down there, go for it, go for it. And he did what he needed to do to keep you guys in the game for as long as possible to see if the other team would make the big mistake. That sounds like the National Football League to this day right now. I mean, all these coaches yeah. going for it on fourth down. I mean, it's what, just take the points. Yeah. You know, right? sometimes, yeah, that's I, I how you know, I, I thought that way. Yeah, I'd rather get the points. And then all right, just let's... extend the game. Just extend because if you if you go for it that and you don't make it twenty eight to nine, you're not coming back from from that. If it's twenty eight to twelve, that, that, that's a totally different. I mean, that's math, you know. Yeah, it's it's that what we kept on saying at halftime. You're not going to win this thing back up in one play. You know, yeah. it's going to take. This is going to take. This is going to be a process. All right, let's just chip away at it. You know, third down in the red area, you don't get it. Let's get the field goal. Let's let's round up the troops. Let's go to the sideline, make our adjustments, get our mind right for the next drive, and let's go execute and score the next time. And and that's what the mindset we had going. No one was really concerned about kicking the field goals or not. We were just concerned about getting it in the end zone when we had an opportunity. So then we get to the catch. Take us through the catch that many have called the greatest single catch in the history of the Super Bowl. Uh, I still can't believe you. I mean, you did catch it. I still can't believe how you caught it. Like, I, I looked at that in real time. I'm like, oh, I didn't catch that. Then I saw the first replay. I'm like, wait a minute. I think he did. Then I saw the second replay. I'm like, holy shit. How did he catch that ball? Take us through that play. Yeah, it's a, it's a shoot route, which is like a versus two safeties. You know, you keep it skinny to that near upright versus one safety. You bring it to a cross. You bring across the field. And so that we got that look, the two safety look, and during the week of prep, we got that look a couple times, and me and Tommy connected on it. You know, I was running good. Yeah. I felt like I had that route down. And and once that happens in practice, when we hit it in practice, if I know, if I see the look that we're gonna get pre-snap, I I can already know that the ball's coming to me. 
especially in the situation that we were in, we needed a chunk play. That's the chunk play really spot on that, that coverage. And so we get into the route. I run the route. I ran it such, I ran a really sloppy route. I mean, we were, we were pretty high on route uh, play count that time. It was, we were, ga- we were low key kind of gassed. And I ran. Well, a so were they, by the way. So they were, were they. too. So they were too. But ran a shitty, sloppy, like banana route, which is like the worst way to run that middle read. It's funny you say that because everyone thought that the Falcons were gassed at that point, but no one had anything left in the tank at this point with everything you had guy got to come back to try and sort of climb that mountain. Yeah, but we were all gassed, and and the crazy yeah. thing is that, that weeks of. The weeks leading to that game, you know, I can remember us running fucking wind sprints at the end of practices. And, like, <laughs> this is like our 22nd week of football. And people don't realize yeah. when you get to that point, that's a hundred and that's a hundred plus practices. And our practices are tough. They're like little mini games. Right. They're high intensity, you know, especially in New England. Like, they practice hard. We practiced hard. And, you know, we were doing those extra wind sprints. And, then, you know, it came in to actually help us at the end grandmaster plan of coach worked and uh but i ran a sloppy route and the cardinal sin on that route is if the db's in between you and the quarterback and his eyes go to the football which means it's usually going to be a pick so once i saw that i tried to redirect as fast as i could i stuck my foot in the ground to try to just break it up for an intercept i didn't want the interception because if the interception we're right we're done and um go back and I didn't see the other two dudes that were coming in on the pile and I try to hit it or it gets padded and one thing happens off a leg and arm and I just tried to keep my eye on it and and snag it and was able to so it was nuts yeah absolutely uh and you guys went on to win first Super Bowl in overtime James White recently retired have to think he probably should have been the MVP of that game, but you know they always give it to the quarterback. Except, except uh, in Super Bowl Fifty Three, where uh, you get the honors in that one. So what what meant more to you, like b- the belief to never give up in Super Bowl Fifty One, or being named the MVP of Super Bowl Fifty Three? I don't know. Your first one's pretty good too, though. That's the crazy thing. Yeah. They all. I mean, they're all pretty cool. Um, yeah. You know, I don't really have a favorite one. The, the, the special thing about Super Bowl 53 was, you know, the, the things that I was going through in my life at that that point. It was a tough year. Suspension, ACL. Like, it was a tough year mentally and emotionally and physically. And and to, to end it the way it ended was just like the ultimate victory of my life. You know, just it was like for me as a person. Um to be in such a low play. I learned a lot about myself to be in such a low spot of your life. I mean, you're, you're 32 years old, you tore your ACL, then you get suspended and you know, you're sitting there at that point. You can't walk, you can't, you know, there, it it was a very low point and to dig yourself out of that, like like you makes yourself grow, you know, and you learn so much from this game and it's, it's stuff that I can carry on to, you know, my parenting and the things I can do now in, in post football. And it's been, you know, like it's those little things in life. And that was, that was pretty yeah. special to have that. For a guy that did so much just to get a chance and then convert it, how difficult was it for you to know uh, temporarily um, I need to walk away? It was hard. It's very hard. Um, but you, I knew, you know, you, you know, when you know, you know, because, you know, little remedial things that you used to do at practice were hard. Uh, just your body can't, can't output it or, or you're in, like, you know what I mean? I was dealing with a, an acute injury, yeah. you know, toward the root of my meniscus. And like, you're not going to go there and, and it's like a 12 month recovery. So I was like, screw that. You can play with it, but it's going to be painful. And. It's one of those things where it just was miserable to get through practice. And I used to, I love practice. Yeah. I mean, you hate practice, but right. you love practice. You know, that's where you right. build your confidence. You know, practice execution becomes game reality. And that's just the truth. And that's for me, at least. There's some guys like, hey, when the lights shine, they can turn it on. I haven't seen many of them. There's maybe been like one or two. 
I'm not one of those no. guys. And, <laughs> you know, I, when, when you start throwing on the film and, you know, you look old, you don't, you're not popping like you used to. And, and like that, that hurt my heart. That hurt my heart. And I was like, I can't put yeah. that out there. I can't, you know, I, yeah. I don't, there's blood in the water. I remember when you'd play guys in, in their prime when you were young and then, you know, six years go by and they're out of their prime and you're right in your prime. It was blood in the water. You were going after those guys because they used to, they used yeah. to take care of you. Now you, you want to yeah. pay them back. And there's a lot of people yeah. I took care of on that field. And I'm, you know, so I respect the game too much. I can't go out there and, and just like, you'll get hurt if you're not in that thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, the, yeah. Schlereth always says he'll watch his last year yeah, with the, with the Broncos. He watched tape and like, Oh God, who's that guy? He sucks. And we realized, Holy shit. That was, yeah. Me. You know, that's, I a, wouldn't go that far. I mean, I could still get moment. open. I'm not, I'm not saying that. <laughs> like, it's just like, it didn't look as crispy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it right. just, yeah. You had to you had to work too hard for certain things that you didn't have to work hard on before, you know. And it, it, yeah. honestly, it was a great experience because you had to. It opened up your your mental aspect. You know, the, the, when your athleticism tapers, you get your smarter football player, and you have like veteran tricks of the trade. You know what I mean? So then there's little things, oh, yeah. and it becomes a little chess match. But like, then when the pain outweighs those chess matches, you're like, you know, I, I'd rather be able to walk on a Monday. I get it. I get it. So why don't we take our second break here? We'll come back and talk to Julian about what he's doing now and what he sees going forward. Stay with us. Coming back on Have Forgotten History. Hey, everybody. What's up? Trey Wingo here. And welcome into a week four edition of the NFL's Trace Trends presented by Caesar Sportsbook. The Eagles, let's just say they're doing things right. They're off to a 3-0 start for the first time in six seasons. And let's just say that has significantly increased their odds. This spring at Caesar Sportsbook, they were 50-1 to to win the Super Bowl. Now... Much better. They are 9-1, to one, tying the Bucks for the third best odds behind only the Bills and, of course, the Chiefs. Now, Doug Peterson is a former Eagles head coach who won a Super Bowl there, and he brings up his Jacksonville Jaguars to fill in this weekend, who are 2-1 and one this season straight up and against the spread. And Peterson has done a masterful job this season with the team in Jacksonville that last year was terrible. Uh, they tied for the fewest outright wins, three, and covers five. Now the Eagles began the week as a touchdown favorite, and that's good news in Philadelphia. Why? Since the start of last season, the Birds are nine and one straight up and six three and one against the spread when laying points. If you want more information, and I know you do, download the Caesar Sportsbook app today to get started. Must be 21 or over, 19 or over in Ontario. Must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ontario, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, Utah, and other states where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problems? Well, in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. Or Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas. Affiliated with Kansas Cross Casino. Call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harrison Orleans. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Ontario, visit connectsontario.ca or call 1-866-531-2600 or text CONNECT to 247-247. Tennessee, call or text TN Redline at 1-800-889-9789. All right, now time for the Mercedes-Benz trivia answer. We told you that Julian Edelman was one of only eight wide receivers ever to be named Super Bowl MVP. Here's the list of the other seven that have pulled him off. Lynn Swan, Fred Bolitnikoff, Cooper Cup most recently, Jerry Rice, Deion Branch, Heinz Ward, Santonio Holmes. There you have it. That's the entire list. And now back to more of our Half Forgotten History episode with one of those eight wide receivers to be named Super Bowl MVP, Julian Edelman. All right, back with uh, Julian Edelman on Half Forgotten History. So the transition is always difficult, right? So, But you found a way to do things that I think you really enjoy in your post-career, starting with working at Inside the NFL with Paramount, and uh, you're working on a show with a guy that I love and respect, Sam Morrill, uh, Games with Names. Tell me a little about that. Yeah, you know, when I retired, I was fortunate enough to, to put a good team around me, uh, you know, off, for all my off-the-field things. And... You know, we build it a brand through social media. You know, we've been kind of pioneers in this whole game uh, with with just social and, and e-commerce and all these, you know, basically millennial Gen Z things. And it helped me to, you know, land a role on Inside the NFL and 
and go and have the uh, ability to start a podcast, Games with Names with Sam Morell, uh, presented by WinPed, of course. Uh, you know, so it, it's been it's been good, and it honestly helps the transition. And it's very, it's yeah. it's been something you know where like I've been a football player for probably like since I was eight years old, that's a long time. And even before that, I was, I was running around the grass, but I I did have other interests, you know, like I was a very outgoing kid and I liked dicking around and, and doing plays. And, and, you know, I liked the attention of, you know, when you're on this, like, so like now that I'm done, I get to go and explore that. And, and I'm so grateful for foot for football and, for the game just because it's given me the opportunity now to get to do things that are so fun and, and amazing and, and like games with names. Like I, I get chop it up over, you know, the best sports games over history with a stand up comic, Sam Morell, who's a funny ass dude. And it's just like, yeah, he's hilarious talking jaw with the boys and the ladies. You know what I mean? It's just talking sports yeah. and, and really just having fun conversations. Uh, and, and like I said earlier, you know, like if I wasn't going to play football, I wanted that camaraderie. And that's why I was looking at firehouses, you know, with inside the NFL, yeah. you know, I have those guys and it's like a little, there's a camaraderie. You got Mr. Sims and JB and Mike Irving, Ray Lewis, Brandon Marshall. And, you know, we get to have yeah. that, that breaking bread and, and just locker room kind of vibe. And then I get on the thing on the podcast with uh, Sam on games with names. And we, we started this whole thing. And it's the same thing. It's just like you're getting a fan's perspective with an athlete's perspective, with the perspective of a guy that was actually involved with the game or a celebrity that loves that game or, you know, it's, it's just fun, you know, and, you know, I'm so thankful for football for this. I mean, Sam's all in on New York though. And you obviously made your living in Boston. Do you guys, you guys work away around this stumbling block of like Eli Manning and everything else in the relationship? I mean, if I have to hear one more thing about Eli Manning, <laughs> this guy, I swear, I, I don't think it's on, I don't, Sam, I don't think it's on, uh, on, on the actual podcast or any of the feeds, but I think he, he has like Eli Manning underwear. It's ridiculous. Yeah. This guy loves his New York stuff and he's not ashamed or, uh, scared to use it in any climate of anything, uh, especially with. You know, certain people you bring, like we got Teddy Bruschi on this thing, and and you know, like yeah. Teddy's an intense guy. You worked with Teddy, yes, he is. You know, Teddy, oh, I know you it. Can't yeah. just talk shit to Teddy, and you know, you got yeah. you got Sam over here. I, you guys got to go listen to that, and he's just busting balls. And I'm like, man, these guys, these these comics are these guys are nuts. They live on the they edge. Live on the they edge. Live on the edge. Yeah, I, Brewski's wild eyes. Like I've seen those on more than one occasion. I'm like, okay, I'll take it back. I'll, we'll just we'll just take it back here a second. We'll just we'll just dial it down just a little bit. God, was... Um. So, uh, is the bromance with you and Tom still going strong? Yeah. You know, it's um, you know, we're we're a little separated right now. He's he's busy. He's a little busy right now. Yeah. I, I you know I understand that. Uh, he's got a lot of shit going on. Apparently, he says. Got a lot of shit going. Got a lot of stuff going on, and. Uh, you know, and it's also one of those things where I'm not in the game no more right now. Yeah. And and I remember, you know, like when you're in it, you don't want to bug guys. Like he's got shit he's got to do. Yeah. He's got a family. He's got a season. He's about to – I know what he's going – he's about to go through right now, these 18 weeks yeah. plus, you know, with playoffs. And, you know, you, you give – the old if the old Gipper needs someone to hit up, he can hit up the little Gipper and, and, and we'll get it going. But, you know, you don't you don't hit him up. You let him do what he's got to do. Yeah. I mean, like, he's still ridiculous. I mean, look, 44 years old, he led the league in touchdown passes. Is there any, like, I have no idea how long he's going to play. But, like, does, do you see any decline in his game at all? Not really. I think, it, I mean, he... Yeah. I can see, I, 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 see, I worked with Tom and all his throwing mechanics with all his coaches. I was always a receiver catching. So I see all his mechanic yeah. things that he works and stuff like the Dak thing, you know, Dak Prescott's fucking little dance. Oh yeah. The hip thing. That's Tom. Yeah, the hip Tom thing, yeah. That's Tom house. Yeah. And Tom was the first one to do that little thing. He just doesn't do it as swaggy as Dak. I'll tell I'll be the first to tell you that. But, uh, you know, so like I see, 
I can see in how he's what he's been working through his throwing, and and he's still he's still zinging it, man. It's it's impressive, but yeah. it doesn't surprise me because of the simple fact that he's forty five and he still has his quarterback coach probably come and see him at least once every few months just to tighten things up, and that's the kind of mindset that is going to allow that man to do whatever he wants and play for however long he wants to because he's always prepared. And he takes he got Alex rubbing his shoulder all day long. I mean, this guy's eating yeah. nothing but avocado toast in there. Yeah, he's like a bird. He eats something but seeds and like, you know, nuts <laughs> and stuff. It's it's gnarly. Yeah. He's gonna, I figure he's gonna live to about, about probably like 172 years old. Well, he still looks like he's 17. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens with him going forward. But listen, uh, you've been really generous with your time. Um, we're assuming that for the short term, you're not going to play again. But what would you say to someone who was going through the things that you did when you were waiting on puberty to hit and waiting on someone to believe in you as a player, waiting on someone to draft you? You get into the league and you're stuck behind somebody and you're just waiting on your opportunity. What would you say to someone who looks at Julian Edelman's career and says, how do I do that? I would say if you're confident and you're passionate about something, and you really love something, don't bitch and complain because that's only going to waste your time. Harness that energy and and literally find out what you have to do through a coach, a mentor, or whatever. Don't just work hard because working hard is not working smart. You need to find out what you have to do. Work hard at that. Every day compound that like for a long time, and you're going to see improvement. And whether you're doing, whether you succeed or, or, or you don't, you're going to see when you put your mind to something and you constantly do it through repetition and repetition and repetition and you find that day that you, you see the improvement, it's going to be the most exhilarating thing. And, and if things pair up or in your situation that you're trying to go for, uh, it works out, it works out. But if it doesn't, you're going to learn something. And don't just make sure the team you play for doesn't sign Danny Amendola. <laughs> you know the crazy thing is he's he was like he's my best he's like one of my he's like my best friend. I know. Like, I before know. then too. I know. Before then, and, yeah, and it was just nuts. Thanks again to Julian Edelman for joining us, and check out his new podcast with comedian Sam Morell, Games with Names. Uh, Sam, by the way, also a former guest on this show, really, really funny. But coming up next week, a really interesting guest who almost had a single-game rushing record in the NFL while being completely hungover. I mean, that's a skill, and I respect it. I'm talking about, of course, former Jags running back Fred Taylor. We'll see you and hear from him next week. Yeah.